Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So we've probably all heard of Emily Post. Uh, she wrote an etiquette book all the way back in the 1920s, and her work still continues today in her family. There's a thing called the Emily Post Institute, and family members are continuing the work of Emily Post of encouraging good etiquette and manners. And today on the show, I have Emily Post's great-great-grandson, Daniel post sinning to discuss manners for men, etiquette, and specifically digital etiquette. You know, the etiquette of smartphones, email, text, it's such a new aspect of our lives that it's it's often confusing about what's the proper protocol for these different modes of communication. So really fascinating discussion. We also discussed thank you notes, which is timely for the holidays, when you should write one, how do you manage thank you cards or handwritten thank you cards with uh, emails when you're engaging someone on email, like do you, do you send someone on email, do you send them a card still? We're going to answer that question. Uh, so without further ado, Daniel post and Digital Etiquette. Daniel post welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, truly an honor and a privilege to be here. Well, thank you so much. So you uh, work for the Emily Post Institute, and in your name is Post. Uh, so start off, so you, you joined the family business. I'm assuming. I, I, I sure did. A, a little background. Um, a lot of people think Emily Post is still alive and about 10 years older than they are, and that, that's not true. She was my great-great-grandmother. She wrote her first book of etiquette in 1922, um, founded the Institute with her son in the late 40s, and uh, the, the business has been running ever since. We currently uh, are publishing the 18th edition of Emily Post Etiquette, working on the 19th. It's been in print ever since that first edition in 1922. Wow, that's fantastic. It continues on. So yeah, I'm sure everyone's come across or maybe flipped through uh, Emily's post book on etiquette. But I think etiquette and manners for a lot of men gets a bad rap. Because I think when they think etiquette and manners, they think sort of like stuffy rules and protocols like, you know, stick your pinky out when you're drinking your tea or something like that. And then it's old fashioned and not really relevant in the modern day. Um, but I think people would be surprised when they actually read the content you all put out, you don't present etiquette that way. So how do you all define etiquette and manners over there at the Emily Post Institute? Sure. We've got a formula that works really well for us. I promise this is the end of the math for today. But we say etiquette is a a combination or equals manners plus principles. And I think that the manners part of that equation is what a lot of people think about when they think etiquette. And um, things like saying please or thank you or holding a door for someone or offering your chair to someone or traditional courtesies around ladies going first um, those are what those are manners they're the specific expectations we have of each other in a given social situation and they they change they change over time they vary from one household to another one country to another, one company to another. Um, The principles are the second part of the equation. You don't have etiquette without manners and principles. And principles are the the timeless and eternal guidelines, values, principles that we use to to guide us when we don't know the manner in a given situation or when we're dealing with difficult relationship situations and there isn't a particular manner that applies. And I think it's the framework of, of having a principles approach to etiquette that's really served the Emily Post Institute for five generations. And the principles that we've identified as the, the bedrock or the foundation for all good etiquette are consideration, respect, and honesty. 
So if you're thinking about other people, if you're using your consideration, if you're aware of who's impacted, that's really important. If you're respectful, if you recognize the value and worth of others as well as yourself and the things around you, you're you're at that next level of, of, of good shape. And then the, the final principle that we think is really important is honesty, that you've got to operate from a place of sincerity and integrity. And um, if you've got those three things working for you, whether you know the particular manner or not, or whether you're trying to assess whether a manner that you grew up with is still useful or um, important, uh, I think I think that having that, that principles idea as part of the etiquette equation really helps keep etiquette relevant. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I guess growing up, I heard it was like, you know, just make the other person feel comfortable and welcome. If you do that, you're not you're you're probably going to be okay. Absolutely. Thinking about other people, I when I do um, business etiquette trainings or appearances, I often open up when I've when I've got a room that's small enough with a word association game with the word etiquette, and I hear everything from the audience. And oftentimes I hear, well, this is the golden rule, right? This is treat other people the way you would want to be treated, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's absolutely part of the equation. And I I like to share something I learned recently, which is the platinum rule. And it's popular in training circles, the evolution of the golden rule. And it's the idea that in an increasingly diverse and complex world, it's not enough to just go around and apply your standards to everyone that you meet, that you also have to be willing to treat other people the way they would want to be treated. And you end up with this this um, balancing act, the art of etiquette really being an awareness of the golden rule and the platinum rule, that it's important to, to know your standards and know your values, but it's also important to really be able to think about where other people are coming from and how they're going to perceive something. And maybe they're even operating from a slightly different set of, of, of core principles. Maybe not. I, I tend to think that, that a lot of those those core principles translate culturally. But um, having a little bit of the platinum rule, a little a small dosage of platinum to go with your gold, I think is really important. Yeah, I like how you said art of etiquette because I think yeah, a lot of people get this idea that etiquette is just the manners, like a very formal. There's a formula to it. There's rules, um, but there's an art to it. It's not a science. You have to sort of use your judgment and different situations, and you, I guess, you learn as you do. It's to me, it's that delicious gray area. <laughs> it's that territory where. Maybe that rude behavior isn't so egregious that it's illegal or going to get you fired, but oftentimes it's it's perceived in a negative way, and 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 the same thing with good etiquette or positive etiquette, and uh, it, because it is in that, that that gray territory where sometimes it's not exactly clear, um, there is an art to it. it. One of my favorite examples is the if you think about the honesty principle, there's a difference between a harsh truth and a kind or benevolent truth. If you were to ask me what I think of your new sweater and I think it's atrocious and I tell you that, that might be a really hurtful truth. And I could also say something like, oh, that's going to keep you warm all winter or <laughs> aren't you happy? Your grandmother made that for you. I can really see the love in it. There, 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 are, there are more artful truths that, that you can find that maybe are less hurtful. And, and to me, that's the fun of, of the work that I get to do. So, I mean, what is, I mean, what's the benefit? I mean, how do you sell etiquette to uh, people who are still dubious about it? I mean, how can being attentive to it and learning some manners help people in their business life, their personal life, et cetera? Sure. For me and our approach here at Emily Post is that etiquette skills are relationship skills. That This is all about um, building good relationships, improving the quality of relationships, building and sustaining successful relationships. Um, etiquette is is social skills. Um, that's that's one approach that's really important to me. The other lens that I love to share is that the more you can approach this material through the lens of opportunity, not obligation, the better off you're going to be. Etiquette's an incredibly powerful tool when used as a tool for self-assessment. Um, the thank you note police are not going to come take you away if you don't write a thank you <laughs> note at, at all this holiday season. They they don't exist. They're not going to come get you. At, at, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> a few grandmothers aside. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, on, on, on the flip side of that equation, I do intern hiring at Emily Post, and we have on our website a seven-point checklist for how to – how to handle uh, an in-person interview. And the seventh item on the checklist is if someone's taken the time to interview you, send them a handwritten thank you note. I would ask you, well, what percentage of people do you think send me a handwritten thank you note after an interview process? The answer is about 30%. I think that's high here because we've got a, a website that tells people to do it. Um, if I've got two candidates for two positions, 
it's probably not going to be a differentiator, but if I've got four candidates for two positions, it, it can absolutely make the difference. And an increasingly casual um, and informal world gives us opportunities for distinction by making the choice to make the medium part of the message to really invest in the relationship skills to say to yourself, you know, I'm going to take the extra time. I'm going to write this person the only handwritten note they're going to get all year. Uh, you really you give yourself an opportunity to make a different kind of impression. So that, that lens of opportunity, I think, is really important. The, the thing that I think bothers people about etiquette is when it's used as a tool of judgment or a tool to exclude or isolate people. And to me, that's so far from the heart of good etiquette. You talked about how etiquette's all about making other people feel comfortable and at ease. And again, I think that you're, you're best able to use it to do that when you're using it as a tool to assess yourself and your own actions and how you can be better. So um, you've written a book about digital etiquette, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But before we get there, you mentioned how manners have changed over time. Um, and I'm sure they've the, you've had to put out more editions of Emily's Post book because things have changed. So I'm curious, what are some of the big things that have changed that people might think are still, uh, it's a hard and fast rule, but there's actually a little more flexibility uh, there that there, than, there wasn't, than there was before? Ooh. What are the surprising changes? Yeah, the surprising, yeah, how about surprising changes? So the the, the the broad trend is that the etiquettes that change the fastest are the ones that, um, are, that, that exist around new technology and oftentimes around communication. Okay. So the, the, in, in Emily's original 1922 edition, there were elaborate descriptions on how to exchange calling cards. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're new in town, you go door to door and you presented your calling card and how that calling card was received, whether it was received in person, whether someone came downstairs to take it from you or whether it was left or whether it was all part of the language of receiving someone, getting to know someone, essentially exchanging contact information with someone. Today, I might talk with someone about uh, how, how you approach someone about connecting on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Ultimately, it's the same, it's the same basic task. It's, it's getting to know people, establishing contact and communication with people, initiating beginning relationships, but the environment has changed so radically that while there are elements that stay the same, it, it really looks so different. You have to work to, to, to find those, those common elements. Some things have changed almost not at all. The, my, my favorite example is that the way my great-great-grandmother would have described eating with a knife and fork in 1922 is almost exactly the same way that I describe it when I teach a seminar today. Um, so the 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 manners around mealtimes, I think that you're you're less likely to, to radically reinvent that in your lifetime, whereas I like to warn people when they're thinking about new technology and communication etiquette that it's really worth um, checking in on a pretty regular basis and asking yourself and the people around you what your basic expectations are, what your common sense norms are, because those do tend to shift and change, and, and oftentimes more quickly than than we might imagine. Okay. Well, what about, I mean, it seems like a lot of etiquette or manners were gender-based, right? The whole like opening men, opening door for ladies, men standing up when a lady leaves the table, et cetera. Uh, in our more egalitarian age, do these gendered etiquette practices still have a place in our society? And if so, I mean, what are some of the things that men should pay particular attention to? Yeah, let's let's lay the groundwork. Um, and and you're absolutely right in your assumption that today, particularly when you're talking about um, formal public and business etiquette situations, business etiquette is gender neutral. Um, it's really important that we have an even playing field um, for everyone, and whether that's the a willingness today to embrace the the mix, the MX um, title as a gender-neutral option for people, that, that our, our willingness to, to, to stay flexible and to continue to, to, to change and evolve in that territory, I think is really important. Um, sometimes people ask me if I think that I have a hard time with, with today's generation. Is it difficult being you know, the fifth generation of an etiquette family? I say, no, I think it was the third generation that had the hardest time. My grandmother was representing this tradition in the 1960s and 70s when a generation of iconoclasts were truly challenging the social order and were intentionally working to disrupt that social order. And 
we might face technological challenges today, but we don't face that same sort of concerted cultural revolution that that my grandmother's generation faced. And that was the generation that really <clears throat> challenged the idea of traditional gendered courtesies. And and that was a big, big deal at the time. I mean, with, I was talking with my wife the other day about Miss Magazine and the the idea that that was a revolutionary thing when it came out yeah. was was something we had to remind ourselves of and that wasn't that long ago the US government adopted the ms the ms in the early 1970s um that that recently how you addressed a woman was entirely dependent upon her marital status and that would that that was really problematic um so it was an important step to move past that in the public world, and it's important that we that we recognize where we are 50 years later. Um, and having said that, um, etiquette is so oftentimes tolerant of other people's perspectives. It's about putting other people at ease. And um, many people today work in a workplace where there's four generations working side by side. And maybe a couple of those generations grew up in a world where those gendered courtesies were still really important. Um, so it's important to be aware of, of, of those generational differences in approaches and the generational difference in awareness. And I also think that sometimes people in this new world that we're operating in, I, I know it works for me and it's true for me that I oftentimes take a lot of comfort and get a lot of ideas about what's appropriate now and moving forward from what has worked in the past. We can learn a lot. And and those traditional and sometimes gendered courtesies came from places when they were instituted. Um, the chivalric code coming out of the 1300s, which a lot of people reference when they think about those traditional gendered courtesies in the States, um, w- was really a code about affording women respect when it was initially instituted. And by the time my mother's generation was rebelling against the idea of, of, of chivalry in the late 20th century, the, the the world had shifted a lot around some of the ideas that had made that behavior initially very respectful and, and left a generation more recently feeling disempowered. Um, <laughs> to, 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 to come back to the, the question of what do you do then? What if those courtesies still are important to you? There's something you grew up with and, and, and you really identify with some of those chivalric and respectful aspects of it. It's so simple. You just ask permission to perform the courtesy. May I get that for you? Thank you so much. You know, it's been 15 years since someone offered to hold a chair for me. Or, no, thank you. I can handle that myself. Either way, if you ask permission to perform the courtesy, then you're not imposing your will on anyone else, but you're you're illustrating the values and the manners that are important to you. So really simple. You just ask permission to perform the traditional courtesy. Yeah, and I think it like it reduces some of the awkwardness that could possibly happen, right? If you kind of foist yourself. Because like, you know, if you want to extend that, I think that there's a lot of women who would be like, what's this guy doing? Like taking my chair out. It's kind of what's going on here. Like, mm-hmm. but if, you, if you're sort of smooth about it and say, hey, may I get that chair for you? That's, that's kind of, that's actually kind of smooth, I think. And it doesn't need to be as complicated a discourse as I just launched into. You can always say it. I'm aware that there's an entire body of literature that talks about <laughs> the male gaze, and no, it can, may I get that for you? It's 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 so easy. It doesn't so need to be as complicated a thing as as we often make it. Gotcha. Okay, um, so let's get into uh, some of the details of your book um, and your special your specialty, which is digital etiquette. And as you said, that's the thing that's changed the most uh, since 1922, since great great grandmother wrote it, the first one. Um, so let's start with smartphones. I think this is the thing that causes most the most conflict um, amongst families, friends, etc. Yeah. What's the general etiquette or guidelines for smartphone use in public and in front of others? We're getting it right here from the expert. We're getting it from a post. So after this point, no one can argue. All right. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <Yeah. laughs> Um, if I could push a magic button and and, and change behavior, um, I think this is this is one of those areas where where I'd I'd, I'd love to do it. Um, 
it's it's really remarkable. Uh, AP Ipsos did a study a couple of years ago on rudeness in America, and they really focused on new technology. And they asked people, have you witnessed people using their cell phone in a rude or annoying manner? And something like 90% of people, 89% of people say they witness this. But when you flip the question around and you ask people if they've used their cell phone in a rude or annoying manner, only 8% of the public is going to cop to it. Of course, of course. It's always someone else who's doing it. It's never me. Etiquette is most powerful when used as a tool for self-assessment. And the thing is, most of us know the rules. Most of us understand the common sense, collectively agreed upon rules for cell phone use, that really the people that you're with deserve your attention that whenever you're dealing with a captive audience, the responsibility is really extra on the person who's got the phone to be careful. Captive audiences, people in elevators, stuck in a car with you, stuck in a grocery line with you, the cashier who's got to check you out. These are all people that can't get away. And they they really deserve your respect and, and your attention to um, their inability to get away from one half of your conversation. Um, so so those, those basic principles that you owe your attention to the people that you're physically with, that there's a certain courtesy that you owe those people, and that that courtesy is amplified when, the, when that's a captive audience, um, again, is pretty, pretty well understood by most people. And yet, a lot of us are willing to give ourselves the exemption or don't see the behavior in ourselves when we're doing it as, um, as easily as we see it in others. So I, I would love... <laughs> to encourage and advise everyone out there to really think about how <laughs> I would like to encourage everyone to think about how they use their phone yeah. and the, the experiment that I like to remind people of is Pavlov's dogs. Yeah. The, 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 the classic experiment about program biological behavior, you feed a dog and ring a bell and measure salvation response. It just doesn't take long where all you need to do is ring the bell and you get the salvation response, food or no food. And we, these, these phones ring, and we take them out, and we get connected to family and friends and information we care about, and we get a little endorphin rush, and we get that positive feedback, and we are habituating ourselves and programming ourselves to respond to these devices. And without some intentional and active deprogramming, that unintentional rude use is going to creep into your life. It's, it's going to happen whether you want it to or not, because... <laughs> that's the nature of how we use these things. Yeah. And it's not even, it hasn't have the ring. It's just like the light has to flash, right? You know? <laughs> People get the ghost vibration. Yeah. You it's feel nice. it on your leg when nothing's happened. <laughs> just because it's been that long and your body thinks something must be going on. Okay. It's, um, it's really quite remarkable. So, so bringing intentionality and awareness back to use, I think is the, the biggest tip I can give anybody because I think most people sit for half a second and ask themselves, is this, is this good or appropriate? Is this a, a fair use of this for both me and the people around me? Most people make the right decision. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and it helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factor meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time. Uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com slash manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com slash manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss, a lot of useful information in there, talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Well, there's actually, if you're having, if you're having trouble for all of you out there having trouble like deprogramming, there are some apps out there. Like I know there's one for Android that will actually tell you, like give you a report at the end of the day, how often you looked at your phone. So, Oh, fantastic. So it gives you like a sense of self-awareness, right? So you see, oh, I looked at my phone 300 times today. That's ridiculous. I need to stop doing that. <laughs> exactly. So. So there's a tip there. Go look for that out there. I don't know. I don't remember the name of it. Um, so let's talk about another aspect of communication that is like just it's overwhelmed our lives. It's email. I remember when email first came out and it was kind of cool. Like you only you saved email for like really special occasions, but now it's like that's how that's how we all communicate. We avoid the phone. It's all over email or texting. We'll talk about texting in a bit. Um, so what are the 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 etiquette protocols for email generally? Uh, you know. How, how soon should we respond? Uh, you know, how do we nudge people who haven't responded, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so for, for me, this is one of those new technology areas where I think you can take a little lesson from the past. I, I like to treat new email exchanges as little letters. So um, you don't need to date them. It used to be once upon a time you put a date on a letter. You don't need to do that. There's a time signature. But I still, I'm a big fan of salutations, greetings, closings. So... Uh, if it's a, a, a new chain with someone, use, and we can descend down the level of formality, dear is the most formal. <laughs> um, you can always use dear, someone's name and title, or title and name. Greetings can work well if you don't have a particular name. Um, hello or hi, or even hello, someone's name. Hi, someone's name, just someone's in some sort of greeting, comma, return, return, content of the email, return, return. Most formal closing, sincerely, comma, next line, me. <laughs> Um, other acceptable uh, business, sort of descending down the scale of formality closings, uh, regards, best regards, all the best, best, yeah, for social correspondence, warmly, affectionately, um, <laughs> with affection, uh, the comma, return name, complete, uh, 
take your cue from the person who's initiated the chain, respond with the same level of formality. Once you're bouncing that email back and forth, those uh, salutations and closings can fall away. They often do. Even if I'm corresponding with someone who I email with every day, if I just put their initials at the top of the email, and give them a couple of returns, I think it humanizes the message just a little bit, makes it a little less of a demand for someone's attention. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the broad idea. Treat it like a little letter. Use salutations and closings. Uh, for signature blocks, try to keep um, logos uh, free of image attachments. A lot of people sort emails by attachments. So you want to keep the, the attachment out of there. If you're going to offer someone thanks, get it in the body of the email. Don't include it in your signature line where it becomes perfunctory. Um, other email tips, choose your subject line well. It's what gets email read. As you mentioned, we get so much email now. One of the, the tasks that any professional is faced with is sorting and filtering important information. It's one of the things that we all have to do as part of our professional lives now. So there's an absolute new and emerging courtesy around not spamming someone and labeling information that you send someone accurately so they can find it later if they want it or care about it. And so that's your subject line, and that's not all caps, but that's something descriptive and topical about what happens in the body of the email. Gotcha. What about uh, CCs and BCCs? Etiquette about uh, Classic. The, we just did a question recently on, on on our podcast about group text, and it's one of the most shared pieces of content we've done in a while, how to politely get out of family group text. Um, and the, the old version of that question was uh, appropriate use of reply versus reply all. And generally speaking, only reply all when everybody on the list needs to know. If you're talking about an invitation that's coming from a single organizer, just reply to the organizer. You don't need to reply to the complete list. Um, Again, that, that's the courtesy of not um, giving people information that's extraneous or, or superfluous in their world. Um, the, I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? Like the blind, you know, blind carbon oh, copy. The, or... the, the, the CC versus the BCC, of course. For me, this is the question of honesty. That um, g generally speaking, the carbon copy is what you want to default use so that everybody knows everybody that's received the same information. The BCC is really best and only used for protecting someone's um, email. If you've got someone on a list who who uh, it doesn't share their email for some reason, that that's for me the appropriate use of the BCC. Some people would use it to um, send a request to someone and simultaneously, without letting them know, send that same request to their boss as a way to, to double check. And and I say just let that person know. There's no need to be um, there's no need to be deceptive yeah. of, of, about it. So with the BCC, my big tip for folks is to be sure you use you're, you're, to be sure you're being honest that you could explain to anybody who received the email why you were using the BCC the way you were. Gotcha. And in. Guidelines on how soon you should respond. Like, you know, for someone like me, I get tons and tons of email. And I, I used to have the I protocol, like, I'm going to try to get back to people within 24 hours. Sometimes that's not possible. I mean, what do you do yeah. if for that in that case? Well, th thanks for sharing your time frame because that's about mine. For, yeah. for email, I tell people, I think the, the basic expectation is it's about a 24-hour turnaround. You, you can't expect that someone... Again, we, we're all tasked with sorting and prioritizing information all the time. And... Um, the idea that you, you, you could penetrate someone's world in, in less than 24 hours via email, I think is a bit much. If you haven't heard from someone in 24 hours, even an acknowledgement that the email's been received, I don't think it's inappropriate to follow up, but I also wouldn't um, treat it as if they had failed. <laughs> I wouldn't act aggrieved about it. I would do it more as just a follow-up, just checking to be sure you received my first email or wanted to be sure you received my first email. My tone would be... Um, not one of being disturbed that I hadn't been responded to. <laughs> well, a concept I love to share is that human attention is a gift and um, it should be received with appreciation. And people also need to recognize you can't necessarily demand someone else's attention. You, you, you have to earn it because human attention really is a gift and we only have so much of it to give. Yeah. So I guess a tip would be if you do, I think you kind of hinted to it at it there. If you are overloaded with email, at least get back to someone saying, look, I got your email, but it's going to be a while before I can give a complete response to it. I think that's absolute best practice. And, and like you, I wish I could say that I, I always was able to do it. I wish I, I wish I always got back to emails within 24 hours. It doesn't happen. 
but I also, I don't, I'm not bothered if 24 hours later someone follows up with me and says, just check in to see if you got my first email. And oftentimes I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. no, I meant to get yeah, back to yeah, them. Okay, so you mentioned texting, right? That's another thing that's been coming up, like te- uh, that's becoming a big a sore spot uh, for family members, couples, even and on the job. Texting has become a problem. So, what's the et- etiquette of texting? Like, when should you do it? How ne- how fast do you need to respond? Because like, I think it's kind of funny with all these different communication types, right? Yeah. There's like there's like we ha- there's like this unspoken time frame that you should be able to respond. So if it's like a phone, if like it's a letter, well you have like a, you have like a, a week, so like a handwritten letter. You you can respond to someone in a few weeks. That's fine. Email, okay, twenty four hours. But like with text, I guess there's like this unspoken assumption that you have to respond right away to a text. Is that is that the case? Maybe even in seconds. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you don't respond, what, are, you, are you there? Why didn't you respond to me? I, I've gotten that before. It just it becomes um it, it, the whole the whole message dries out. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to jump in with that witty reply all of five minutes later, just something's lost. <laughs> it's uh, and and that's absolutely true. Each of these mediums has its own rhythm, its own pace, and and there's no question. I think the broad understanding is that text is very immediate. Um, I sometimes tell people that. Uh, we used to imagine a day when telepathy exists. We've got it. I can yeah. have a thought and I can share it with anybody almost instantaneously anywhere I want. Absolutely amazing. Um, I, I tell people to be really careful that, that you build expectation, particularly within relationships, around communication and response time. And that you don't want to build a set of expectations into your life that, you're, that you just can't live with or that ultimately you don't enjoy. Um, so... I, I use texting. I don't have an expectation of a 30-second turnaround time with anybody that I text with in life. There are definitely certain groups that I'm in, particularly on a Sunday afternoon when the fantasy games are, are, are rolling very quickly. Um, we're, we're, we're communicating very quickly, back and forth, and probably the response time is that 20, 30 seconds tops. Um, but it's not an expectation, and if I were to jump in later, it would, it would be okay. And I love to encourage people to build that kind of space and breathing room into the expectations that they build into, the, into relationships. Because um, that can be really difficult, that, that, that quick text response um, demand. And I think sometimes it results in rude behavior, that oftentimes there's a substitution mentality that people know that it would be inappropriate to make a phone call from this situation, but they're willing to substitute a text. So it was teens at the dinner table, and then it was people in movie theaters. And little by little, the idea that that substitution mentality is okay is 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 starting to be chipped away at, which I like because I, to me, it's about where your attention is going in terms of how rude it is to the people around you. Um, but I do think that that texting in particular, because people feel that they should respond quickly, kind of draws them into behaviors with, with their phone that's not always the most appropriate or that isn't always the most considerate for the people that they're with. Um, so I like to say, take a deep breath, relax. It's still going to be there. You can still respond to it later. Um, it might not feel as relevant, but it probably will be. And if it were really critically, critically important, the information I don't know, might or might not be coming as text to begin with. Yeah, it'd probably be a phone call. And so, I mean, do you, should you, uh, if you do need to make a text, like, do you excuse yourself? Like, excuse me, can I go do this? Or is it okay to be like, whip out your phone? Like, I'm going to make a text really quick and then just do it right there and then put it away, the phone really fast. Ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure. I like the way you announce what you're doing there. Um, I, I think it goes a long way towards just acknowledging, <laughs> again, you got to know the rule to know how to break it. <laughs> yeah. My attention should be on this person that I'm with. It's really not a big deal if I fire off a quick text, particularly if it's going to set us up for dinner later on or something. Um, just giving that person that you're with the basic consideration of acknowledging you're about to break a little etiquette rule. <laughs> and it doesn't need to be like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm about to disrespect you for taking my phone out and texting, but... You know, I just want to text my mom real quick and let her know that I'm planning to come for dinner tonight. <laughs> then they know you're going to be off real quick. They know what you're doing. They don't wonder whether or not you even care or about them or how they're impacted or affected because you just showed you cared. You just told them. Um, pardon me just a second. Magic words really are magic. I'm going to, I'm going to fire off a quick text to my mom, tell her I'm going to be home for dinner. Um, so yeah, that, that, that letting someone know what you're doing, how long you're going to be doing it, just acknowledging their humanity as part of the process, I, I think takes something like that and, and makes it an absolute, um, not a big deal at all. Great. So making people feel good and, and comfortable. 
exactly. Goes back to that. Um, and, and I don't know if I've, if I've managed to solve our, our problem of, well, what do you do with texting where that expectation is, is so quick in the, yeah. in the time frame of reply? I think the answer is you give yourself the latitude that you understand the, 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 the counter-argument why you wouldn't just take your phone out of your pocket and fire it off. And I think we've talked about those reasons already. One, showing consideration for the situation that you're in at the moment. You're sitting in church and you wouldn't do it then. You're at a funeral and you wouldn't do it then. You're in a public restroom and you're not going to take your phone out and hold it in your hand then. Um, or the other consideration that we talked about of just that you don't want to be constantly um, respond, more responsive to the device in your pocket than the, the hiking trail that you're walking down or that, that there needs to be time in all of our lives where we can carve out um, to be with the people we're with, even if that's just ourselves. And um, you mentioned those apps. They'll tell you how many times a day you've looked at your phone. And it, it might not even be as, as personal as, you know, I'm sitting here with my mother. I'm not going to answer a text right now. It might be, you know, I, I don't need to pick my phone up 200 plus times a day. And, and, and that's an okay reason to, 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 to limit the amount of replying you do also. Yeah. You know, I, for some reason, this is really weird. Like I never picked, I've never taken to texting. So like people text me and I guess I've sort of trained them because I don't respond. <laughs> I know it's probably really, I know it's really rude of me. Um, no, not at all. But you make your preference known. Build yeah, those expectations in the relationship. I do that. I tell, with that. Yeah, I tell people like, don't text me, like call me or like send an email. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what broke me. I, I was with you. I'm, I'll, 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 I'll date myself. I, I, did, I graduated college in 2000. So I, like my first cell phone I had on my way out the door from college and I, I did not pick up texting either until I watched my younger brother and his new wife text all the time. And it was like, uh, it kept them very close. It was a very immediate part of their relationship. And it, it struck me as sweet how connected they were. I'd be with him and he'd be getting these little messages from her all the time. And um, it kind of won me over to what a personal medium it can be. Um, and when I watch when I watch younger people, the kids these days, and their text machine, um, I, I'm often reminded of my brother and his wife, and, and and how close they seem when they're interacting on it. So that that, that was that was the moment I took the plunge, took and, the plunge. and jumped in. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I work across from my wife every day, so that's. I guess if we work separately, then that would. We that probably, is a treat. That is. That is um, definitely a treat. Um, let's talk about social media, because uh, this is a place where it, it, there's like no manners, it seems like, whatsoever. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, blog comments. Um, I mean, what can people do to make social media networks a more civil place, or is that a, a lost cause? I, 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 I've, I've heard this before, this there are no manners online, and my proof to you that there are okay. is how aggrieved people feel when they're broken. <laughs> that, that, that you wouldn't have so many people as bothered by what other people are doing if there wasn't a basic social expectation there to begin with. And anytime you have two people interacting, you start to have expectations of each other. And the, the expectations we have of each other online are, 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 they, are, are they exist and they, they came into being more quickly than I think people even, even realized. And um, it, I, I love that element of it. That, that what happens online is interaction, is human relationship. <laughs> so in many ways, it's it, it's a purely um, social space, and and uh, some of the particular etiquettes are peculiar to that space, <laughs> but um, but they're absolutely there, and they absolutely exist. Um, and as far as what we do to to to, to shift them, mold them, shape them, and make them. <laughs> And to help that community be the kind of community that we all want to participate in, it's model the behavior you want to see in the world. That etiquette is most powerful when used as a tool for self-assessment. We rarely have the standing to address someone else's behavior. And if you want to find out how little standing you have addressing someone else's behavior, try addressing their behavior online yeah. and see what kind of response you get. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it really is one of those spaces where... <clears throat> the degree to which you participate well really determines the quality of your experience there. Um, I, I make a joke sometimes at the start of my, my seminars. I say, you know, I think most people don't mean to be rude. I think that I'm an eternal optimist that a few internet trolls aside, most people don't wake up in the morning and set out to, to hurt someone else's feeling or make someone else feel bad. Um, but we make that allowance that that happens some in online spaces. And with that mediated interaction where you aren't as responsible 
to the person that you're impacting as immediately or directly as if you're in a room with them. Um, I think sometimes the intentionally hurtful or the intentionally harmful is easier and and maybe gets out more than than people would intend it to or or, or um, rude behavior that would someone would catch themselves sooner if they had the real world consequences and were faced with them. They just don't, uh, whether they intend to or not. And that does happen online. I have to acknowledge that. And and I really think the best defense against that is is understanding your own level of participation and understanding really what you have control over in those spaces because it's it's really difficult to argue with someone who won't argue back and if you're the person who's not arguing back you're a pretty difficult person to to draw into an argument so yeah so yeah i mean is that the best response to say like trolls like just ignore them because there's like I, I, yeah this is one of the things i put in my book usually what they're there for is to get attention and the less attention you give them um, is oftentimes the most effective response that a community can give to to a real agitator or disruptor. Yeah, and I I, I tell other people also like I don't think people understand this. Whenever they respond to a troll, like on Twitter or Facebook, you are actually broadcasting the troll. Like, yep. <laughs> I don't think because like when you at them, like everyone in your Twitter feed like sees your conversation you've had. Like if you just ignored it, it would have just like kind of died in that one little cell, right? Yep. Every every eyeball that hits that is is a victory for that person. <laughs> yeah, don't don't feed the trolls. Don't feed the trolls. Exactly. Okay. So here's a question that I it's it's sort of the the nexus of two mediums, right? And it's made very complicated with email, and that's the the handwritten thank you note, yeah. right? So I love sending hand, hand handwritten thank you notes. Um, but I'm always confused about what to do with like email. So I have like a, you know, you'll do something with someone via an email exchange and they do you a solid, like a really yeah. awesome thing. You like, I want to send this guy a thank you note, but it's kind of weird. Cause like you just said, thanks to them in the email. Um, so like, do you just send the thank you note anyway, even though you've already said thanks, uh, before in the email, what, how do you, how do you navigate that sort of email and, and handwritten thank you note, uh, combo there? Yeah, sure. It doesn't hurt. Um, the medium becomes part of the message. And, and as I mentioned earlier, whenever you take that extra step and you handwrite a note to somebody, the medium really becomes part of the message, particularly in a world where that happens less and less frequently. Um, I also say that, that, that the medium being part of the message, sometimes the, the that email thank you is the appropriate level of thanks. You've had an interaction that's been an email interaction. That someone hasn't bought you a gift you haven't thanked them for. You haven't bought you a meal. They haven't interviewed you. They haven't. I mean, there are all kinds of, of, of short thanks for which an email is entirely appropriate and would really be appreciated. But there's no reason if you decide that you want to notch it up a little bit and follow that up with the handwritten thanks that you shouldn't do it. And it'll absolutely make an impression. I guarantee it. Um, I could talk at length about the value of of writing thank you notes, of gratitude, of grace, of bringing the qualities of gratitude and grace into your life intentionally by making a commitment to thanking people and thanking them well. It can really be transformative. And um, I'm a big proponent and fan of, of of really honoring that process of giving thanks. And I wouldn't ever want to slow anyone down or dissuade someone from following up an email with a written thank you. We oftentimes say for really important events, like the, that job that you really want, that you really care about, it's the dream job, it's the one you've been waiting for, thank them three times. Thank them verbally on the way out the door. Thank them within 24 hours with an email note, and then follow up with that handwritten note. I know we call it snail mail. Believe it or not, it's going to get there in two or three days if you mail it from anywhere local. Um, and it's going to get there a little later in the week. And that's, that's not a bad three-point touch for someone that you're really trying to establish and build rapport with. Fantastic. And uh, with the holidays coming up, here's another question I've had about thank you notes. So if someone gifts you something and they're there in person, you thank them there, right? Do you need to send a thank you note to them? You or? don't have to. Okay. This is straight straight from Emily Post. The important thank you, the most genuine and sincere, is the verbal, in-person, look them in the eye, smile, tell them you care about them, you appreciate the thought, you appreciate the effort, thank you so much. That's That still is and will always be the gold standard. doesn't mean you can't follow up with a written if you want, but really that's that's enough for most people. Okay, great to know. 
Um, oh, here, well, here you, you mentioned this. So the thank you note, the handwritten thank you note has become like an anomaly, right? It's like what sets you apart. And so <laughs> if someone writes you a thank you note, you're like, man, this is like the first thank you note I've gotten in years. I know what's coming next. <laughs> Do you write a thank you note for the thank you note? It has to end somewhere. This is an infinity mirror kind of problem. <laughs> and, and, and no, you, you, you effectively and, and, and um, you, you end the chain with that handwritten thank you note. And, and you, you, exactly, you could probably take a bow and exit stage right yeah. a, a lot of the time. And um, we oftentimes say it's important not to trump someone's thanks, that uh, magic words are magic, and there's a reason your welcome is on the list, and that's because it's not always no thank you, or it was no problem, or no, it was no trouble. Sometimes thank you is really important. Someone wants to offer thanks, and, and being the person who can receive that and receive it well makes you an important part of that process. So enjoy that. You're welcome. Okay, fantastic. Um, so, Brett, unfortunately, I I have to go. scheduled a VPR at three, so okay. I'm going to have to run. But I, I want to do a second part of this interview let's, sometime. Let's do it. Yeah, let's end it right now. I think that was great. Um, we'll definitely. There's so much more we could talk about. I'd love to have you. I on think again. you and I could go on for a long time. I'm warning you, I'm a talker. Sure. You no, I love it. It's going to keep happening. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, we'll end it right here. Um, so I'll just kind of do a little quick outro. Dan Post, thank you for Dan Post. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Right. It was it was truly my pleasure. I'm a big fan of the art of manliness, and um, I can't wait to get you over to Awesome Etiquette someday. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. My guest today was Daniel Post-Sinning. He's the author of the book, Manners in a Digital World, Living Well Online. He's also a contributor at the Emily Post Institute, and you can find out more information there at emilypost.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, again, I'd always appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Your support is always appreciated. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.